want to tell you a little story. I mechanically held the frigid child as our boat moved over mammoth swells in the dark. The child jerked and shivered violently in my arms from the cold that encroached in all around us. Even if I wanted to, I could not sleep. My body screamed with fatigue, a fatigue that most people will probably never experience. My mind is filled with haunting memories of death, of horror, and many are very, very personal to me. As I sit cramped and sickened by the ocean's movement, I am thinking of the bloodshed that I have seen over just this past year. I'm not a soldier, but just a simple fruit and vegetable seller, like my father before me and his father before him. I had plans of even expanding my simple cart to yet another one by the year's end, maybe being able to see a little more pocket change and maybe see my boy go to school and not have to work at the cart every day like I did growing up. And my wife, my my beloved wife, she believed in me, my stupid cart. She believed that, that I could expand the business and, and she had these promises that she looked to and, and it all looked so promising. So promising. I still remember the smell of my small home as it burned and smoldered as I came upon it that late summer night. It was too late. My family was still inside. There were no more promises. My old life was over. I did not even have time to reach him before the next rocket barrage started and things were hitting all around and I just ran and I ran and I ran. I did not stop to rest, to eat, especially think. I didn't even have a chance to weep. But now as I sit on this cramped boat with a child that is not even mine, I have too much time to think. Too much time to hear the stories of other people with similar stories just like my own. They even have that look in their eyes and that same smell. The smell of a refugee. Where will we go? I mean, who's going to care about me? About my foolish promises that I once dreamed of, of my cart, of my child, and my wife that are no more. Broken, beaten, and bruised. Who will greet me? Will I just be another statistic? Will I be thrown into a prison or kicked to the gutter like the trash of so many others in so many societies? My future, our future, it's unclear. Who will take us in? Who will give us refuge? Who?
Unfortunately, in this day and age, we live in a time where this is very much so a familiar story. For the 8 million plus people that have called themselves refugees and who are flooding, just this last weekend there was over, I think, 60,000 people in the one weekend that landed on the beach in Greece. This idea of refuge and refugee is ever more present, I think, in our mind today than it's ever been before. And it's not because it's so nice. It's a crazy, tragic thing that's happening in our world today. But the crazy thing is, isn't this been happening in our world today? But it's also happened in our world since the beginning of time. This idea of refuge and refugees is not new. Our world is broken. And this is what I love so much about the book of Joshua. And what I love about this study that we've been going through over the past couple months of being and living in a fearless way, a fearless life, a life that God wants to bring to us in the midst, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of, yes, even a person in a boat who's lost everything. What do we tell them? What do we tell the people at work that have just lost a loved one? What do we tell the, the, the kid at school whose parents are divorcing? And they've never experienced this. And all they do is feel like running away. What do we tell them? You see, never is there more a time in history, I believe, that we are so posed to stand and say, we can live fearless because there is a God. And He has a plan for us. And He has a plan for refugees. He has a place for us where we might be able to take refuge. To not be rejected but to have a place of refuge. And so, what I want to look at today is in the book of Joshua, chapters 20 and 21. I would encourage you to read this more. We can't go through the whole thing because we don't have three and a half hours to do that. (laughs) But we have about 30 minutes and I just want to point out some key things that I'm really hoping you take to heart. Because even though I, I made up a little story here, this story is all too true with many people that we rub shoulders with. And yeah, they might not be running from a war in a far-off land, but we're all in a broken world that is war-torn by the enemy who seeks to devour and destroy all that God has set up. And so my hope today, as we look at this concept of refuge, is you'll see what God has for you and those around you. Because our take-home truth is simple. Fearless living means we take refuge in Jesus and offer refuge to all. So please stand with me as we read God's Word here. Uh, in, the, in Joshua chapter 20, I'm only going to read just a, about nine verses here. But then the Lord said to Joshua in verse 1, it says this, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of what? Of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice 
a forethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Nephetali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, with Ker Asheba, that is Bezer, in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramath in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, Golan and Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigners residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Okay, you may be seated. Um, there's a lot going on here, and I just want to illuminate a couple things very quickly. As the Israelites have taken these last five years to, to come into the land and take, take back what God had given them and to basically be a tool of judgment by God to people that had been given so much time and so much great and yet so much blood had been crying out because of the injustice and the wickedness that had been going on. They, they, they took these cities and then God says, I want you to take six of them and I want you to designate them, call them this, and make them a city of refuge. Because, see, in that day, when somebody accidentally killed someone. We call it manslaughter today. Um, when someone accidentally kills somebody, there may be, maybe they're heaving a stone in their garden and someone accidentally walks by and the stone hits them and, and kills them. Um, it, it, it'd be the idea of... of um, I had a friend who was driving on the freeway late at night. Uh, and he was going to work and, and a, a person was stopped in the middle of the carpool lane. And, and the person in front of him a young girl swerved very quickly around it and he didn't know what was happening. He was going the speed of traffic and he went the other way. She hit the wall as she went around this car stuck. He went this way, came back and hit her and, and she instantly, the car exploded and she died. It was an accident. The, even, the, even the police said that it wasn't your fault. There was no guilt. They tried to get guilt on him but there was no guilt. There, there was no fault here. It was an accident. But see, back in that day, the same thing. You would have what they called a goel, which was a kinsman redeemer. Um, somebody who is next in, in, blood, in the bloodline in your family who would say, this person, my family was killed. This person was killed and I'm going to avenge them. Because blood for blood. Even if it wasn't unintentional. Even if it was, someone still died. It was still bad. But they would run and, and, and God designates this city to say, you can run here and you can get a fair trial. In fact, over time, once the high priest dies, you can go back and you cannot be killed any longer. You are free. So we're going to look at these cities of refuge today to see something that God has for every single one of us. Because we're all refugees. First, I want to say, God's heart is with the refugee. You can't read the scriptures. You can't look at the Bible. You can't look at all of history with the church that's following what God has said and not see that God is a God of the refugee. See, God put these cities all over Israel so that anyone could make it to them because He cares for the refugee. If, we're, if we were to look at a, a picture of where He sets these up, you can see that the first thing God does is really make these available to all. 
All of Israel here, you have six cities and there are three on one side of the Jordan and three on the other. Dispersed amongst Israel so that anybody in a position of of need who accidentally does this, this, this horrible thing, who's guilty of blood, can run and be saved. And make it. And not have to worry. Because God wanted to make sure. He didn't put them all in one spot and said, yeah, first person that gets it. You know, like some amazing race where it's really difficult. No, he made it clear. And this wasn't just for Israel. This was for the whole nations around. This was for anybody, whether Jew or Gentile. Because God, his heart is with the refugee. You see, when Hagar fled from Sarah, who was unjustly persecuting her, because she was a slave in, in Abram and Sarai's uh, um, uh, family. And she was abused and misused by them. And then they mistreated her. She fled. God found her in the wilderness, in the desert. Wasn't a Jew. And he, he directed her back. And he helped her. The Israelites themselves grew up in slavery 400 years They had felt the heavy hand of injustice and oppression. They knew what it was to be running, to be refugees. I love Exodus 12, 37-39. If we look at it, it says this, Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. Do you think history repeats itself? A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with the flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. They baked the dough which they had bought, brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread. Why? Why not bake dough? Because they had not become leavened since they were driven off of Egypt and could not delay, for they didn't have time to prepare provisions for themselves. They were running for their life, chased by an evil king, who wanted nothing to do but blot them off of the map forever and ever. You know the crazy thing is? God himself was a refugee. Jesus was a refugee. Sometimes we forget this. If we look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, now, this just blows my mind, first of all. Before I get into this, this is God. Have you ever just thought, God, you see my situation? Can't you just wave your little, like, stick or, or sprinkle your God dust or do some spiritual judo and fix it? Have you ever thought that? I know I have. Because God can do spiritual judo and make my opponent just on the ground. Right? Come on. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, maybe, I'm, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that goes, God, why are you allowing this to happen? <laughs> maybe I'm the only one that does that. I don't know. But the truth is, he sent his son... We have a God, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, who suffered and went through things that I, I'm so blessed I haven't even gone through that. I mean, look what happens to Mary and Joseph. Oh, we're going to give you, by the way, there's going to be a horrible ruler who's going to decide to kill every boy under three years of age just to get Jesus in this town. And so what happens? It says, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Hurry up! (laughs) Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Run! 
And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child, for Jesus, for the Son of God, to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what has been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Even Jesus was a refugee. God has a heart for refugees, for the despised and the rejected. He even allowed his only son to be a refugee. Why? Because let me just point this out. If you're taking notes, we are all refugees and have felt the sting of rejection. See, in that day, as I said, you had the Goel or the kinsman redeemer or or the avenger of blood because there was blood spilled. We have blood all over our hands, people. And if you try to walk one day saying you don't, I'm sorry, but I'll have to call you a liar. Because of what we allow to happen, what we allow to exist, what we have been complicit in or complacent in, whatever you want to say, the truth is every single one of us is born into sin. Every single one of us is born somebody who... We don't measure up. We miss the mark. I love the word in Hebrew because there's different words for sin, but this word for sin is such an interesting word. It's it's shagah. And what it means is is to wander, to to basically like, you know, I'm only saying this from um, what I've heard because I've never done this. Um, The guy that doesn't want to admit he's wrong... You know, those people. And they've wandered in such a way in this relationship. Uh, 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 maybe it's their, their, their beautiful wife where they're pointing out, the, the beautiful wife is pointing out how wrong they are in this situation. And, and the guy continues to shagah because he doesn't see it. But the truth is he's wandered and he's blown it. How, how about the other one where just a simple, like, you, you get lost because you think you know where you're going and you, and you don't. That's the shagah. Unintentionally. It's the, it's the idea that we get all this goods and it's really on the blood and the hands of small children in other countries that are getting it for us. See, we're guilty whether we like it or not. I mean, there's many things that we're guilty of and we don't mean to be, but the truth is we've all shagad in our life. We've all shagad. I, I love the story of King David. Can I just say something real quick? I just love this. You know why? Because King David, to some extent, I like to look at him like, you're worse than me, bro. <laughs> you, really blew, blew, you, know, you really blew it. He, he's running from Saul. He's a refugee. He's told he's going to be king. He's running from Saul. So he goes to Nob, where the priests are. and the, It's a town of priests. And he goes there, and he goes into the temple right there, and he says, um, do you have anything to spare? Because I'm on a mission. Lie number one, you ain't on a mission, David. <laughs> You're running from Saul. So he's lying to the priest. And then and, 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 and he's, the, the, the priest says, well, you can have some of the showbread. So he takes that. Oh, yeah, and I didn't have a time to grab my weapons. Lie number two. So he gives him the sword of Goliath that's behind there. And he takes it. And, and you know, I mean, he's not with anybody. He says, my men are... He's not with anybody. <laughs> and lie number three. And the crazy thing is, he runs away. Now, he just does this because he's trying to be free and seek safety and he lies and does these things. But Saul comes in because one of the Edomites was there and goes to Saul and says, by the way, the priests helped him. Saul says, go kill him. 
And, and, and the Edomite comes in and, and instead of just killing the priest, because why just kill the priest when you can kill all the priests? And why just kill all the priests when you can kill all the priest's family too? Women and children. And the town is massacred. Be, because David is afraid and runs. See, the, the, the truth is, to some extent, we have blood on our hands. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. We've all shook God. We've all run. I love the God who has a heart for the refugee because Jesus is our city of refuge. See, God wasn't content with just sending His Son and letting Him be a refugee. He came in His plan. See, this is why fearless living is all about the person of God, Jesus Christ. And it's all about the plan of God. We cannot have this fearless life unless we seek that in our life and, and adhere to that and look to that and trust in that because Jesus is the only one that can really give us refuge. This is why it's the key. It's His plan. It was His plan to send Jesus so that we might have refuge in this crazy, broken world. God in His mercy sends out our Goel who should kill us for the sins we've done. We should be taking the place of Jesus on the cross. But instead, He allows Himself to die for us. A blood sacrifice. Blood for blood. So that we might have refuge. I, I love what the Old Testament does because there's so much there that we don't always see. And even if you'd look with me here, I, I want to look at the six cities because just in their name, they they're like a blaring uh, a trumpet or, or megaphone that says Jesus all over it, and it just says there's refuge in Him. So let's look at these six names really quick. The first one is Kaddish. Right? Now, Kaddish means to sanctify or set apart, consecrate, to make holy. Jesus goes to that cross so that we could be holy. Because in Matthew chapter 5, we know the simple fact that we need to be holy as God is holy. And we can't be because we're guilty. And to sanctify literally means to wipe away the blood which covers us. And he gives us his blood. Consecrates us. The second is Shechem. Shechem means between the shoulders of. Or a better way to understand it, burden bearer. Jesus says, take my yoke. See, back in the day when they would have the two... Um, uh, ox that would go, there'd be the old ox that couldn't really do it any longer and they'd put the young ox in there and the young ox would be able to pull and get and do what, what the old ox couldn't do. And you know what? This world, I hate to say it, you might be young, <laughs> you're an old ox. When it comes to being able to pull what we need to pull and do what we need to do, we need Jesus. We need Him to bear the burden of our sin and our guilt. We can't do it without Him. He's our Shechem. Kirjah Arba, okay, which is also Hebron. Hebron, this is great. Hebron means joining or fellowship. This is that idea that we are joined with Him. We have fellowship. We now have a family and a community where we were once alone and running and refugees and we were guilty and now we have a community. We have a family. 
Jesus himself says, I call you brother and sister, friend. I love it. Kirshath Arba. Bezer means fortified place, a mighty fortress. Look at 2 Samuel 22, 2-3. It says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my bezer, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom what? I take refuge. I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and what? My refuge, as if we didn't get it before, right? Why? Because my Savior, you save me from violence. The Lord is a fortress. They see all of this is just pointing to the God that loves us so much. Us running refugees. Ramath. It just means simply to be raised up or given a place of height. Just as Joshua got to experience, God said, I'm going to glorify you, Joshua. I'm going to lift you up. And I love the book of Isaiah. It says, those who trust in the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles, will be raised up. And if you look through the scriptures, it's continually saying, Jesus says, I'm going to lift you up. That's why he took the cross, so that we could be lifted up to God pure. Because like the prodigal who returns, the father gives the wayward son his shoes in that day, which meant you are now a part of my family and no one can hurt you. You've been lifted up. He gives him his ring back on so that he can have the power of the family again. All of these things, it shows that he's been lifted up. He has a place of privilege in God's family. Jesus does the same for us as he ramoths you and me, even though we've shagat. Golan, last one. It derives from Galah, which is basically rejoicing through deliverance. Rejoicing through deliverance or from captivity. You bet when that refugee got there and afraid of his life, he rejoiced. She rejoiced because she would no longer die. You see, Jesus wants us to live a joyful life. We're coming on Thanksgiving, and I'm excited about this new... We're going to do two two uh, studies in in, in Thanksgiving and joyfulness. And I don't know about you, but I need that. And sometimes I have to remember Golan. The joy that we have, the freedom, the freedom from slavery that we have in Jesus. Because we've been delivered by Christ's mighty work on the cross. Christ is our refuge. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. It says, Therefore, we who have what? Fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary where only the whole high priest can go. We can now boldly go because we're sons and daughters. Do you have this anchor of truth in your life? Do you have the hope and refuge of Jesus? My hope is you do. My hope is that that you can claim personally, not because you're so good. Please, we really need to stop doing that. Christians need to stop doing that too because we get to a place where we're like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I got caught in that the other day. I, I, I basically was saying something to the effect of, oh, I would, I'm not a bad dude. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, no, actually I am. I'm a sinner. <laughs> the truth is, I, I have 
bad thoughts. I, I have, I, I, I do things that I shouldn't do. I say things I shouldn't say. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not Heisenberg. I'm not cooking meth or anything. But you know what? The truth is, I'm bad. I'm a bad guy. I just am because I'm a sinner. I'm a refugee and I never need to forget that. You know, the only difference between us and the other refugees is we're resting in Jesus' arms. Let's not forget that. Because we have a tendency to forget. You will never be free from fear unless you find refuge in Jesus every day and in everything. But see, there's a second aspect that I really don't want to miss. Because as Jesus says, what are the greatest two things I can tell you, let me give you the cliff notes of the whole Bible. <laughs> love God. And now love each other. Love each other. Because that second part as it plays out is so simple. God is calling His people to be what? A city of refuge in this world. Jesus states this in Matthew chapter 5. He says this to His disciples. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Do you get it? You're a... And you know he's alluding to probably Hebron, which was on a hill. Hebron is seen, especially at night, and you can run to it. And he says you are to be that city of refuge. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. They glorify your Father. They know that you have refuge and you can point to refuge to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. In your family, now, I don't mean just, it might be just with your own wife or, or, your, or your kids. It could be if you're younger, you know, maybe just with your, it's not just with your, your dad or your mom. I'm talking about your family. Even those people in your family you can't stand. And you know what I'm talking about. Or they drive you nuts. This is the question. Do you represent a place of refuge? Or are you a city of rejection? How about in your work? Or at your school? Do you represent a place of refuge? Or a city of rejection? You know, I want to point you to two quick things and I'm done here. Being a city of refuge doesn't take much. A lot of times we try to, we, we try to make it so much bigger than what it really is. Uh, it's, a, it's really just these two things I want to point you to. It's simple. A person of refuge is available at the expense of their comfort. The cities were available. They were accessible. I, do you go to work and seclude yourself? Or do you go making yourself available? Even when it's not comfortable. It's not that hard. It just means you go with a purpose knowing that you're a city of refuge when you're at school. When you're going to that family function, which you would normally not go to because it's not comfortable. <laughs> but you go and you say, okay God, I know you've given me refuge and now you want me to share this refuge with others. So I'm going. I'm going to be available. Secondly, a person of refuge is actively seeking those that are lost. Those that don't have refuge. 
This is what Jesus patterned and expects nothing less than those that call him master. The whole purpose of the six cities was to be a place of refuge. That's what they were. Their first title was city of refuge. (laughs) What is your active purpose? See, being a city of refuge is not hard. It just means you're available and actively seeking the lost wherever you're at. I want to show you this video. It's kind of long, and I'm sorry. We might go over a little bit. But I really feel it, it, it sums up how easy it is to be refuge to those who need it. of refugees that that arrive in Greece or arrive in Europe arrive here on this island. So these beaches are where, uh, you know, uh, sometimes 60 to 70 uh, boats will land here per day. Most of them have fled countries of conflict. They left all their belongings. Some of them have left even family members behind. They just they just flee for their for their own safety and they they flee for the the hope of a better life. I mean, I, I mean, I can't even imagine leaving everything I know and coming to a place on a little raft and you have no idea whether you're going to be welcomed or you're going to be thrown in prison or you're going to be, you know, you, 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 just, you just have no idea what to expect. A lot of the moms are very visibly afraid and to be handed someone else's child is, that's really humbling to like be responsible to, to care for them even for that brief moment. Let's go this nice lady. Just go. Take care of her, please. It was hard to see children coming off soaking wet. Um, yesterday we saw a boat come in with a baby who was just one month old on it. And I just can't imagine a mom who, who gets on a boat like that that's so unsafe with their one month old infant and how afraid she must have been that something would happen. Uh, and actually, 
actually, I was just fearful that, that they're not going to make it because they're going to die of hypothermia before they get anywhere uh, safe. So I think it just uh, epitomizes the desperation that we see in this, uh, in this situation that we find ourselves in. They know about the border crossings. They know about what's happening in Hungary, about getting tear gassed and about getting stopped at a border. They, they know about boats, uh, boats crashing out here. Just, just yesterday, a boat was lost out at sea and people died. You know, almost every day, one of these boats doesn't make it to shore. You can tell they're traumatized by what has already been such a long journey that they've been through um, and what will be a really long journey still. I think when they land, they're just so glad to be on dry land and safe that the reality of what lies ahead isn't, isn't really registering. So I don't, I don't think they realize that they now have several weeks journey trying to get through Europe to their destination uh, and that that journey is not going to be easy. This is Karatepe. Uh, it's one of the refugee transit points that the refugees wait before moving on with their journey. She's four months pregnant, is that right? Four months? Yes. Yeah. And why is she afraid she might be losing the baby? I'm just cleaning the wound. He's, he's trodden on a nail. It's gone quite deep. Uh, the most important thing is that he goes to a pharmacy now and gets a tetanus vaccination. She's just sprained her ankle, probably by walking or maybe when she got out of the boat. Has she felt the baby kick yet? A flutter? Then the baby's okay. We are the first faces that they see when they land. Probably a lot of them have never even met a Christian. When they land on this beach, we're happy that we can be here and be here as part of that of that first step and be here to just show them that there's Christian people that love them. As they continue their journey along the way, they'll meet other people from Samaritan's Purse and other countries, and they'll remember us. I've never done anything like this. This is extremely special, what we're doing here. Let me just say that Jesus got on a boat, the boat we couldn't ride on. And then he says, come to me. And I don't know anything easier than just saying, can I help you? Can I, can I give you a banana? Can I give you water? Can I warm you up? They come from countries where 99% of the people, they don't know Jesus. They've never seen a Christian. They don't know who Jesus is. Imagine having a predetermined view of what someone is and then having that blown out of the water by meeting Jesus. The truth is, we just need to be available. God is available to us through Jesus Christ. You don't need to go over to, to Lesbos, Greece, 
Because there are people at your work, there are people in your school, there are people in your family. What can you do as a follower of Jesus where people see Jesus, the city of refuge? What can you do? Just living it out. Just being the love that God has given you. It's not hard. Yeah, it'll go out of your comfort zone. And you got to actively seek the lost. But it's going to change your world. Let's pray. Um, God, I, I, I hate seeing a video like that because I think about the boats that didn't make it. But, but God, I don't have to take too much license with my metaphors to think of the boats that don't make it all around us with families that are breaking apart and drowning with kids that are being lost daily with hypothermia of loneliness and neglect and abuse with people don't, who don't know you, that don't know your son Jesus all around us. There are so many lost. And they're frantically trying to find refuge on the stormiest of all seas. God, I just pray that first and foremost, if there's anybody here that's on the sea right now, may they know that you walked on water. You're above the sea. You said, peace, be still to the raging currents. And you came out and met, met us on the water. And secondly, then you call us to get out of the boats and to welcome those that are frantically seeking refuge in anything and everything. No matter who they are. Help us, God to be the people you've called us to be. Thank you. Thank you for being our refuge. I just want to also say, Lord, that if there's people here that just need to stick around afterwards, they would. Because I don't want anybody to leave, get back out on those boats and be lost. Because you're waiting to give refuge to all.